Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. This is Let's Go Blues Radio. You're listening to Season 8, Episode 23, Franchise Episode number 209. I am your host, Jeff Ponder, and this is, of course, the Behind Enemy Lines series for the summer of 2019. Summer's wrapping up, folks. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's almost time to start defending the cup. I want to give a big thanks to the Wild and Free for the use of their song Fire that you hear here in the open. Also want to thank Tom Calhoun of PAGuyTom.com for uh, helping us out with the intro there. Please check out the Let'sGoBlues.com shop and consider buying a shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds all go back into the show and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. You can also listen to us at Let'sGoBluesRadio.com. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us that five-star rating. Well, folks, we have gotten into the grind of the summer. I mean, we are right here at the beginning of September, which means, you know, kids are back in school, teachers are back to work, and uh, that means we are going to start seeing training camp here in just a couple weeks. Exciting stuff. Very exciting. Uh, But you know what? Even though the win was just a couple months ago in June, it's time to start gearing up for the new season. We're still going to keep the party going at Let's Go Blues Radio. So again, I do not have an email to read for this episode, but if you would like to participate, send us an email, radio at letsgoblues.com. Again, that is radio at letsgoblues.com. Send us an email. Let us know uh, how you're celebrating the championship, what it's meant for you, how crazy this season was. I mean, good God. I still think about the highs and lows of this season. It just blows me away. So, uh, yeah, if you'd like to contribute in any way and, and just write us an email, let us know what this meant for you and, and anyone in your life. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Radio at letsgoblues.com. So, uh, like I did last time, last episode... I'm thinking back to a time, uh, is that it goes back to January 9th, 2019. And why that is such an important date, uh, if somebody's thinking, well, you know, that's two days after Biddington's first start. Guess what? You're right. Uh, this was the show after Jordan Biddington got his first start against the Philadelphia Flyers and got the shutout. So, uh, I thought it would be fun to go back and kind of reminisce about, um, Biddington's first start and again it's something that I I think about as if it happened just a couple minutes ago just a couple minutes ago just a couple minutes ago Uh, Jordan Biddington got the the call in Nets uh, the other night against Philadelphia Uh, gets gets the shutout in his first NHL start in his only other action this year with the Blues, he allowed two goals on 13 shots versus Pittsburgh on December 29th and two goals on 12 shots versus Calgary on December 16th. Both games were in relief of Jake Allen. Um, his stats in San Antonio uh, last season, 17-9, 17-9-0, 5 GAA and a 9-2-6 save percentage. This season, he's 11-4-0 with a 2-0-8 GAA and a 9-2-6 save percentage. So it's pretty, last two seasons down in uh, San Antonio has been pretty consistent. Um, Bennington was sent down to uh, uh, the rampage to get in some work before, uh, because while he was here, he didn't get much game action. And his last start in San Antonio, before being called back up, he pitched a shutout. So Monday night versus the Flyers, he stopped all 25 shots that came his way, and he looked 
really good. Um, he stopped the shots that were stoppable, and he made a few excellent saves on top of that. So, uh, yeah, I want to. I want to get uh, Bill's opinion on, on what his game looked like. But all that I want to say is, uh, um, I I loved, and I, I put this on Twitter, and I had a couple people giving me shit about it, and I, you know, course. whatever. Um, of course, yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I just said I like the way he plays. I like how he was on top of the crease. He was challenging shooters, um, and and he just. I don't know. He looked more square to shots. He he was ready. Um, and I know that, that I'm not trying to compare him to Jake Allen. It's one game, so I'm not saying I'm ready to see him go as the starter. We'll get to that conversation here in a minute. But um, I thought that was a great game. And, and we've been saying, and I know you guys have said this too, Allen had 14 straight starts. And it's not that he was awful throughout that whole time. But it was clear he was winding down, and yet they kept putting him out there. And then they would pull him and put Biddington in, and Biddington wouldn't look good in relief. And so it was, well, obviously, Billy Biddington's not ready either. Give him a fucking start. See what he does in a start. And they finally do it, and look at that. All of a sudden, whoa, holy moly, he pitches a fucking shutout. Yeah. <clears throat> so my my impression of his game was that he was, it was the first time I, it looked like a Blues goalie had been comfortable in the net for a while. He just he had an ease about his game, like Jeff said. He was on top of his crease. He was assertive. He he played his angles well. He wasn't overly aggressive. Um, a, a point that we'll get to a little bit later in the uh, Jake Allen section of the show. Uh, but he he looked comfortable. He looked confident, and he he provided the Blues a game that they needed and I thought absolutely he deserved to get the start the next night not because he should be anointed the starter but because he just he played a great game and the team looked great in front of him so reward him but before that game was even over even you know before we knew the shutout was was there I knew that he wasn't going to oh. get the chance because Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong are fucking morons. I'm sorry. This team is fucking stupid when it comes to goaltender decisions. They're they're afraid of creating a goalie controversy, but the goalie controversy is that your goalie fucking sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, what, what's annoying, and we don't need to get into this, I and mean, we've talked about this before, but... You know, you look at the tweet Jeremy Rutherford put out, I think it was yesterday, Davis Copley having a great season yeah. in Washington. Why the hell Which, was he traded back to Washington? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I, 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 that, that made that at the time we're like, what? Why did what? Why? It made no sense no. in that trade. I know. I don't. I, I don't. I, has Armstrong been asked about that? I guess he has been. Maybe I, don't, I haven't seen. Does yeah, I don't know. Does, did if he would have been asked about it, I think Rutherford would have included that in the article. Or in, well, it was just a tweet, so I don't know. Maybe there's an article to come. Jr. Write that. Write that story if you're not. <laughs> yeah, I know you're listening. Chop chop. Chop chop. No, you know, I don't. Again, I know we're going to talk here in a little bit about the the Dallas game and Jake Allen going back in the net, but uh, I think it just can't be understated or overstated enough that Jordan Bennington just, you know, he hadn't had an NHL start yet, but he looked so ready for that start. And I know that you see a lot of these goalies come in from the uh, AHL and and have a good first game because they're just so excited to get started, but. This guy, and I said this a couple weeks ago, you know, the talk has always been Billy Huso, Billy Huso. You know, Jake Allen's a starter now. Billy Huso's going to take it over. Oh, we got this Fitzpatrick kid coming up. Bennington's been kind of forgotten in the shuffle. And you look at, and Kurt, you just ran off his numbers for the last couple years. He's putting up great numbers in the AHL. Like, let's not forget about Jordan Bennington. He's obviously a guy that could step in. And I'm not saying he's going to be a starter and <laughs> Kurt, I know where you're laughing because I'm about to say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yep. But yeah, it's it. You know, he's a guy that can easily step in and be a decent goalie in the NHL. Um, and it really does beg to ask the question: Why not Bennington? What about Bennington? Wait, why not? <laughs> why not Bennington? 
Always fun stuff. I uh, love that there's still a little bit of anger there from the team's poor start. You know, we uh, <laughs> you listen to that and you think, oh, man, they were they were still anger. You know, I mean, this this team was still in the dweller at that point. So um, just kind of hearing the uh, the comments from Bill on Baruby and Armstrong being, quote, fucking idiots. Uh, not to single out Bill if you listen to episodes before that. I think you hear uh, me and Kurt say very similar things. And, uh, again, so much anger because of that that team's just horrible start. But that's when the upswing started. So uh, kind of fun to go back and, and think to a different time when uh, we thought this team, there's no way anyone in this roster will win a Stanley Cup in a Blues jersey. How we were so wrong. Well, I want to introduce our guest of this episode, Mr. Dan Rice from thehockeywriters.com, as well as NWHL's site, nwhl.zone. Uh, check them out. De- uh, Dan does a lot of writing for them over there. Uh, also a Devils Media member since at least the 0203 season. Uh, again, just a, a very knowledgeable guy. And I, I know I say that a lot on this series, and, and that is because, honestly, I've did my research and finding us some good guests for this whole series. But I say that from personal experience. Dan is a longtime friend of mine. We got to know each other when I was working over at thehockeywriters.com. And um, he's still there, and he does a great job. And we met each other at the draft a couple years ago. We've kept in touch. Uh, I mean, when things have happened in my life that I make public, you know, uh, like when my dad passed or my son was born, he was somebody who actually uh, uh, reached out to me. Uh, and then same thing with him. When I've seen stuff happen with him, I reach out to him. So that's, how, that's, that's a, you know, it's a, a little bit of closeness there. So I'm not just calling him a friend or a friend of the show. He's an actual friend. So a, a good discussion here with Dan. We talk about a lot of things, including the Scott Stevens fiasco. And uh, it's definitely something that might anger Blues fans. But hey, let's remember, guys, because of this last season, there was a silver lining. On this episode of Behind Enemy Lines, Let's Go Blues Radio, we are talking New Jersey Devils with Dan Rice of the Hockey Riders. We'll get to Dan here in a second. But uh, I did want to mention a couple stats here for the Blues all-time against the Devils and I guess the entire Devils uh, franchise organization as they were used to be, for those that remember, the Kansas City Scouts and the Colorado Rockies. Uh, St. Louis' all-time record against the Devils, 109 games played, 58 game or 58 wins, 36 losses, 14 ties and one overtime loss. First meeting against the Kansas City Scouts was on uh, November 13th, 1974, and that was in Kansas City. That was a 5-3 loss for the Blues. Uh, we're going to skip right over the Colorado Rockies, and we'll get to when they first played the New Jersey Devils, uh, November 16th, 1982, and that was a 7-2 win uh, in St. Louis. Uh, one important note from uh, Blues history here against the Devils franchise, Bernie Federico's first game in the NHL came against the Colorado Rockies. That was on December 22nd, 1976. He had no points in a 2-1 St. Louis Blues win. So a lot of couple, couple important notes there, but uh, I want to get to my guest before we get to talking about some of the big uh, moments between these two teams. Uh, my my guest is a friend of mine, guy I've known for a long time here, Dan Rice. He writes for thehockeywriters.com, and uh, we'll get to this in a bit, but he also writes for the NWHL, uh, which is the Women's Hockey League, mostly on the East Coast. Uh, NWHL.zone is where you can read his stuff there. But again, we'll get to that a little later. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. Now, we, we talked a little bit off-air um, about how you are, you've been in Devils Media forever. Uh, you saw the 03 Cup win as a member of the media. Um, I want to ask you because I've, I've talked on this show before about when I was in the media, I was still a fan, but it was different. Um, you know, you can't cheer. It's, it's a little different. You're still rooting for the team, but, uh, you kind of put that in your back pocket and you put on the, the reporter hat. Um, what's, you've been doing it for so long now. Um, what's, uh, what's it like for you? Do you still consider yourself a devil's fan or is it straight business now? Well, uh, first of all, thanks again for having me on. Um, I, I think I look at it like this. 
Um, if the team does well, that makes my job a lot easier. Yes. So, you know, winning is, is great. I hope, hopefully they win more games than they lose. Um, as I've done this longer and longer, uh, you become less attached to the players because the names change so often. Uh, but you build relationships with players and, and you root for individuals to do well. Uh, the guys that, that are really nice to you and, and, uh, very giving of their time, you want to see them do well. Um, and then that also works hand in hand because then they want to, or then you want to talk to them because they did something good in the game. Um, but, um, um, as time has gone on, I've, I've become really more a fan of just the game itself. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me. And so if they don't win, then, uh, with the credentials that I have, I'm, I'm, I'm able to go to the opposing locker room and talk to those players. Uh, so, you know, either way, I, I'm going to be able to get a story out of it. It just depends how it turns out. And the guys that are here, I see more often than the other teams. So, uh, I, I try and put that in my back pocket, the, the whole being a fan thing and uh, of an individual team. Um, but you also, you work with these guys, uh, the, the players, the, the staff, the people at the building. So, you know, when, when they win, everything is good. Everybody wants to have fun and everybody's smiling. Um, so that, that that's kind of how I've compartmentalized, I guess, everything over the years. Yeah, I can definitely relate when you said that uh, <laughs> there's certain guys that, uh, you know, you kind of root for because they're such good guys. I I mean, I remember when I joined the uh, the press for the first time and, I, uh, <laughs> there was a guy I did not like on the blues roster as a player, but then I got to know him personally and I'm thought, Oh man, not now I want him to do well. Like now I want him to, to go to the all-star game and, and, you know, <laughs> score the career amount of points. You know, it's like, it really does kind of change your view of, uh, of these players when you get to know them a little more. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And, and being in the media and, and in the day and age we live in with social media, um, you see a lot of things where uh, I'm sure it happens with other fan bases. I, I know it happens here where the fans will pick one player that they, they seem to dislike for whatever reason and they just keep continually ragging on them and ragging on them. And then, so you see all these opinions out there, but when you actually get to talk to the guy, he's like a great guy. And, um, a prime example would be, uh, uh, Ben Lovejoy, uh, you know, defensive defenseman, he's not going to win a Norris trophy. He's not going to, you know, score a thousand goals, but just a really, really good guy, very thoughtful, very insightful interviews. And when you see everybody like ragging on him, for me, it makes me want to go talk to him and put something good out there about him. And then you get the, the odd fan or two that'll be like, Oh, why are you writing about this guy? You know, he sucks. And, <laughs> you know, and, and we all know, you know, you can say whatever you want. That's fine. You have that freedom of speech. You can say whatever you want about anybody without any repercussions. But, um, you know, we all know that this guy is way better an athlete than anybody that's commenting on it. So uh, th- those kind of things, that, that's kind of I, – I like those those stories or I like writing those stories, I guess, when it seems like everybody's against this one guy and then you go talk to him and – and another guy that, that we went through that here in New Jersey is somebody that you know very well, uh, Bryce Dobledore. And I know him a little bit from seeing him now as a player transition to being a member of the media. Um, some of these fans were really, really cruel to him when he played. And then he retired, and now he's on TV, and everybody's like, oh, Bryce is so great. And, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, you, you people are all two-faced because five yeah. years ago you were trashing him. You were saying he was a traffic cone and that's your Halloween costume and those kind of things. And, you know, I, I loved, personally, I loved talking to Bryce. I thought he was very, very insightful and always giving of his time and getting to know him a little bit more now on the other side where he's on my side with the media. Um, the, the times that we sit at the, the, the dinner table before a game, um, those are like priceless moments for me. Listen to him talk about, whether it's a relationship with a player or a coach or a story that happened during a season, um, those things are invaluable to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to completely talk about how great Bryce is, cause I do that all the time on this show, but um, <laughs> I was, I was a big fan of his when he was a blue and I was real sad when they traded him uh, a couple years ago uh, uh, for Cam Jansen, just because I thought he was a solid defenseman for the blues. And obviously the, the Devils saw something in him too, making him captain and, kind of the number one defenseman there for a while. So 
Um, but but I will say, uh, and I think I've told the story on the show before. You mentioned how great of a guy he is. Uh, this was obviously before I worked for him. I was in the media and I wanted to interview him when the Devils came through. And uh, the Devils had lost a, a pretty big heartbreaker to the Blues. I think Tarasenko had scored a couple goals. And um, I wanted to go out and talk to, to Salvador after the game. And so I went down and uh, I had talked to the media guy before. And I said, you know, hey, I, uh, you know, we talked on the phone. I was hoping to talk to Bryce. And he's like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, he's in the shower right now. And uh, he kind of like, Salvador kind of pokes his head out. And he's he's got a towel around his waist. And he's like, Hey, are you the guy that wants to interview me? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, hang on one second. He's like, I don't want to, I don't want you to, have to do it in a towel. Let me, uh, let me get my suit on. I mean, <laughs> so like he wait, he made me wait, which was fine. I mean, completely fine. And he came out and he's just like, I'm real sorry. You had to wait for so long. I just want this to, you know, I want, I want you to see me as a professional. And I'm like, I already did, man. Like that's, that's awesome though. You were like, that is way too nice. I mean, he gave me a very great one-on-one interview and uh, just a, an excellent guy. And then of course he remembered me from my media days. That's how I got my full-time gig now working for him and his company. But, um, and I, again, I see it all the time, how great of a guy he is. So um, it, it is just like you said, you get to know these guys personally and it, you know, it, it might change your opinion. It might make your opinion even better than what you already had of that person. And because uh, I remember him as, as, a, as a player in autograph signings, people talking about how nice he was. So, um, yeah, I mean, you think about it with all these players. Cam Jansen, I mean, it's another one, another guy that, that, that comes between us. They great guy. great guy, unbelievable guy. He's on the radio here. And I mean, people yell at him when he's on the radio and he'll walk up, you know, if he's doing a remote and you think, oh, here comes Cam. He's pissed. This guy was just screaming at him. And he shakes, you know, shakes their hand. Hey, you know, how's it going? You big blues fan? You know, I mean, just super nice guy. So it, that it's just, I guess that's kind of the hockey culture, the mentality that a lot of these guys have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And quick story to kind of piggybacks off what you just said. I had a, a similar experience in a visiting locker room with uh, Henrik Zetterberg. Uh, I think it was his last season or second to last season. He passed through the locker room and I was waiting for him and he had same, like you said, he had the towel on. And I said, oh, you have a minute to do an interview? And he said, yeah, just give me a few minutes. Let me get dressed. And I'm thinking, you know, this guy might never come back because I've had that happen to me too where yep. a guy says, yeah, I'll be right there. And then next thing you know, the PR guy says, oh, he's on the plane or on the bus. Um, and Zetterberg actually came back out and we actually stood in the hallway away, away from everybody else and gave me one of the, the best interviews that I've had in, in probably the last three or four years. So, uh you know, these guys, they are human and, and a lot of them are, you know, even nicer than they seem on TV or, or on whatever you, you listen to them or watch them on. Yeah, I, uh, I remember that interview. That was very well done. I'll have to ask you to send me the link to that and I'll make sure to post that when we post this episode. So, uh, very well done there. But yeah, that's something that, that, and again, we'll, we'll get into a little blues talk here. And there's obviously a very big, um, thing between the Blues, including Scott Stevens and Brendan Shanahan, we'll get to in a minute. But before I do that, I do want to mention, um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure you, you do this still on the regular. I know that uh, when I was with the hockey writers, it was kind of your thing. You uh, you sit down with one player and have a great interview, just one-on-one, um, and it's it's players from the Devils, it's players from all over the league you do this with. And it's just a great one-on-one interview. You ask them questions. They give you good responses, and then you put it all in one post and you throw it together. Um, and it's some of the best stuff that you can read because you get to know these guys like Dan talks about. So, um, yeah, again, you can find that over at thehockeywriters.com. And I assume that's something you're doing with the NWHL as well, correct? Absolutely, 100%. With that league, the, the biggest thing is letting people know about it because a lot of people don't. Um, so anytime I can grab a player for five or ten minutes – uh, really get to know them, um, bring out like some, some information about them that people don't maybe necessarily know about. And, um, I, I'm actually surprised that a lot of my followers haven't left, uh, because a couple of years ago, once I started doing this, I didn't know how the, the reaction was going to be, but it's, it's all been really positive and great. And, um, I'm doing whatever I can to help them succeed and, and get paid the way they should get paid. And, it's a it's a really small role that I play in it, but um, I'm more than happy to to do it. And 
Um, very fortunate that they are, like you said, most of the teams are in the Northeast. So it gives me a little bit easier access to some of them. And, and they're all really, really good people. Um, and that makes my job a thousand times easier. Yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned to you off air that uh, Danny Ryland, the commissioner of the, the league, I've had a couple conversations with um, doing what I do in my full-time gig. And um, she's so happy to grow the game and grow the sport and, and not just the NWHL. You can tell she's just a fan and a student of the game and just loves it and does whatever she can. So again, if, if you are listening and you're in the Northeast or if you have a team close to you, uh, make sure you check out the NWHL. It's an excellent product. So I want to talk to you, uh, Dan, about, uh, first of all, one of the biggest moments in blues history. And, and I think you could probably even say definitely in devil's history too. Um, it's it's funny. It's remembered in St. Louis mostly as a negative, but we'll get into uh, as you listen here, folks, how this actually, in a way, became a positive for the Blues. Um, so the Scott Stevens fiasco. Um, to give a little background for those that, that may not be aware of what happened, or maybe you don't even know who Scott Stevens is, one of the greatest defensemen of all time. He's a hockey Hall of Famer. Um, he came up in the league with the Washington Capitals. Played a bunch of years there and became a hard-hitting, hard-nosed, just great all-around defenseman. Um, not known for his offense, but, man, he was a guy that you do not go in front of the net with. The Blues, on July 5th, 1990, this was when their uh, GM was the great Ron Caron, and I say that slightly sarcastically. Uh, he uh, he had signed Stevens, who uh, was a Group 1 free agent, which is also now known as a restricted free agent, and um, because of the deal he signed him to, he had to give up his uh, five first round draft choices to Washington to make the signing. So right there off the bat, they signed Stevens, give up five first round picks. That's a lot. Um, you know, obviously Karan thought he was building a Stanley cup team. And at the time, I think everyone agreed with that with uh, the young goalie, Curtis Joseph coming up. And, you know, they had uh, obviously Hall and Oates were looking good together. Uh, so Stevens is given the captaincy has a great year with the blues but then that next summer, uh, same thing happens for the New Jersey Devils. Brandon Shanahan uh, becomes a free agent. Again, what we know now as a restricted free agent. And uh, the Blues, Ron Caron, goes after him as well. Uh, problem here is they don't have the first-round draft choices that the, uh, that the Devils, or that, the, uh, that they did when because they, they sent them to Washington. So there had to be some compensation to the Devils. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Some of the stuff that we, that, that you hear about, and obviously this is where, uh, the big judge, the arbitrator, I guess, uh, judge, uh, Edward J. Houston, a name that a lot of blues fans know comes into play. Uh, blues had submitted Curtis Joseph, two conditional draft picks and young forward Rod Brindamore, uh, to be the compensation. The Devils straight up, which there was talks they were going to ask for Adam Oates or maybe even Brett Hall. They asked for Scott Stevens, and uh, many months passed. September 3rd, 1991, the decision's made. Scott Stevens goes to the New Jersey Devils. Uh, he did not enjoy that too much. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, I know that uh, you were a young man at this time, as was I. Um, but uh, what, what? I mean, this is something you look at now and you hear these stories and you think, my God, I mean, because this is something we, we don't see anymore. Uh, not only just the signing of RFAs, but the compensation, how it included players and draft picks. And it's just not something we see anymore. Um, <laughs> again, Stevens goes on to have a pretty good career with the Devils. But uh, when you look back at this, and, and maybe even other Devils fans too, um, do you think that was the right compensation? I mean, it's easy to say three three Stanley Cups later, yes. But, you know, the Blues submitting... Curtis Joseph, Rod Brindamore, draft picks. Um, you think the the Devils end up getting a better deal on that? I, I think, first of all, I think if, if this, something like this ever happened in today's day and age, there would be a huge meltdown on Twitter or social media. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would just be bonkers. Like, the website would probably be break. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I guess in, in all actuality, it, it at first, it turned out to be like a one-for-one one where it was like, all right, you guys just signed Shanahan, so now just give us Stevens. 
Um, but as you noted to me, that they actually tried to sign Stevens again later, yep. and uh, and the Devils got some more compensation from them. Um, so that that whole part is is crazy. But uh, from the Devils' angle, they got a guy that really changed the course of their franchise. Once once Jacques Lemaire came on board, and, and he convinced Stevens, who was at the time a high scoring defenseman, uh, he convinced them to focus on defense first and. With the team that they were building, with, with guys like Scotty Niedermeyer and Danico was already there, and they had Brodeur set in goal. Um, eventually, uh, they just really became, you know, legendary around here. Uh, you mentioned Scott Stevens to any Devils fan, and, and even the younger ones, they know who he is. The numbers hanging up in the rafters. He's around pretty often. He was here as an assistant coach after his career for a little while, and I think in two stints. Maybe even three, if I, 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 I'm not positive on that. I should be, but I'm not. Um, but he, he just changed everything and, and it was attitude. It was the, the ferocity that he played with on the ice. Um, it was just a, a total game changer. And, and he was one of them guys, like I, I like to say to my friends, um, he's one of those guys that you, if you were an opposing fan, you hated him. But if he was on your team, Oh man, he was the best guy ever. And, and the Devils had another guy like that in Claude Lemieux, where he's very hated in, in, in other circles of, of the league. But, uh, you ask any Devils fan and, and they love, uh, Claude Lemieux. But, uh, getting back to Stevens, I mean, you go to games or, or I go to games obviously all the time here and, um, I, you lose count of how many number four Stevens jerseys you see in the crowd, whether it's, the older fans, the, the younger fans wearing their hand-me-down jerseys because I don't think any of them really saw Stevens play, but, <laughs> and I don't think they went out and got a Stevens jersey, but a lot of them got hand-me-downs. So, I mean, it, it was just a, a, a ground-breaking, uh, uh, momentous occasion for the Devils franchise to, to be able to acquire a guy like that and the way that it all turned out, you know, three Stanley Cups later, it, it worked out pretty well for the Devils and, as you told me off air, it, it actually, this tree of, uh, this tree, trade tree, excuse me, uh, actually helped out the Blues win a Stanley Cup too. Yeah, this is something that, um, I uncovered during the Western Conference final and, um, also, uh, famed writer here, Bernie Miklas had referenced, I think, during the Stanley Cup final. Um, but yeah, you really look back and it's, it's interesting because, you know, you, you think of this whole fiasco and, and then you mentioned the, the other part of it that kind of sucked was in 94, Karan tried to sign back Stevens illegally. It was uh, considered tampering. Five years later, Devils got uh, $1.4 million from the Blues, a first-round pick, and the ability to swap first-round picks once in the next five years, which that was long after Ron Karan was there. So I remember there being an uproar from Blues fans. But, uh, but back no, back to this. So Scott Stevens... Uh, he leaves, he gets Shanahan and, you know, obviously blues fans are happy with Shanahan Four great seasons in St. Louis, uh, part of one of the best lines the blues have ever, uh, put together with, uh, Craig Janney. And, uh, he goes on, gets traded for Pronger. Obviously we all know what, what Chris Pronger did here in St. Louis. Pronger gets traded for Eric Brewer and some other parts. Eric Brewer gets sent to Tampa Bay. Uh, and, uh, in, in, in that deal, uh, one of the draft picks acquired was Jordan Bennington. So again, you know, yeah, you look back at July 5th, 1990, I guess you could say a day that will live in blues infamy of signing Scott Stevens. You can trace that all the way back to Jordan Bennington. And, uh, yes, you can say Scott Stevens won the blue, won the, uh, the devils three Stanley cups. Uh, well, the blues also got a cup out of it by getting Jordan Bennington. So I'd say it worked out for both franchises. Yeah, and that, that I mean, I've heard it now two, three times in the last half hour, and it's it's just still like blowing my mind. I can't wrap my mind around how how that just manifested into uh, them getting Jordy Bennington and and him becoming the the guy that finally finally leads the Blues to their first Stanley Cup. Um, something that's was long overdue, and and as we've talked off air. You know, through text messages or whatever, I'm I'm so happy for you guys that you got to experience that. Yeah, it's uh, it's impressive. I wanted to ask you again about this the Stevens thing. Do you think? Let's say this doesn't happen. Let's say the Blues never signed Brandon Shanahan. He goes back to the Devils. We all know Steens, Stevens was a, a big part of that defense. One of the best uh, defensive traps we've ever seen. 
um, with uh, with Stevens and, and you mentioned Danico and then of course Brodor on the back end. But do you think that uh, that and, and obviously this is hypothetical? Brendan Shanahan comes back. You've got a star left winger, but you don't have the captain in Stevens. Do you think that team still wins the Stanley Cup? Probably not. At least not that first one. Just because I I think Shanahan would have bailed eventually because. He wanted more money and the Devils were never a team that really paid guys a lot of money. You know, they, they gave them a decent amount, but they also had a lot of guys that took less to, you know, so they would free up money for other guys. A guy like Marty Brodeur, I don't remember if it was from the get go or at, at a certain point in his career, he just stopped having an agent and he just went into the, the GM's office and said, all right, let's let's work something out that works for me and works for the team, so we have money to sign other players. Because they were back in the the, the non salary cap era, they were never a team that spent to the cap. Like they spent some money, and and when they had to make a trade at the trade deadline to, to get a guy like an Alexander McGillney, like yeah, we'll, we'll take on the rest of this contract. And and, the, and those moves most not most of the time, but sometimes they worked out. But uh, I don't I don't think they win that first cup if. They don't bring Stevens in. Yeah, that's again something. You know, you you said you said that uh, there's a lot of people that you know don't aren't Devils fans that that probably hated Stevens. You know, you think of the probably the Anaheim Mighty Ducks fans and the Philadelphia Flyers fans after those huge hits he had on their star players. Um, I was always a fan of his. I loved the way he played the game, and um, I was lucky enough to see him get inducted into the Hall of Fame. I went up to. Uh, uh, it was the same year Al McKinnis went in, and a couple of my uh, buddies and I went up there, and, and it was uh, one of the best Hall of Fame classes of all time. McKinnis, Stevens, Francis, uh, Messier, and um, I always forget the last one. Yeah, either way, um, whoever that is was a great player, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's so awesome to – it's I mean, it's funny. I know everybody remembers Stevens as a devil, but – there is an interesting footnote in Blues history that Scott Stevens was a St. Louis Blue, and not only just a St. Louis Blue, but a captain. And, um, you know, again, one of the best leaders I think this uh, this, this sport has ever seen. Yeah, and I, I don't think, uh, I, I, like I said, I don't think they, they easily, they don't win that first cup without Stevens. And, and another thing is the, the style that he played, That's it's different from today's game. Like, oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, growing up, that was like one of my favorite players. It was him and Marty. Um, those, those two guys were, were it. They were the, the reason why I stayed with hockey and why I became such a huge fan, uh, as each passing year went by. But I, I agree with a lot of people that say that like those hits wouldn't be legal in today's game, but in that era, they were legal. So it, it is what it is, you know, like you, you can, people can, cry about it all they want but that's just the way the game was played back then <laughs> i i showed uh, a friend's wife the other day I, we were talking about the scott stevens hit on paul korea in the stanley cup final it was at 03 i believe and um yeah i uh i, I showed it to her because we were talking to him. we were like yeah you know unbelievable one of the greatest things we've ever seen you know guy gets knocked out on the ice comes back scores a big goal and uh she's like what are you talking about and i'm like oh man so i showed it to her and she the look on her face when when my phone <laughs> cut to the part of Stevens laying out the hit and and seeing uh, I mean I say it looks like uh, and I borrow this from a friend of the show Doug Stolhand of the Puck Podcast it looks like Han Solo frozen in co- carbonite I mean he's just <laughs> he's just laying there and you know it's you think about it it's you know at the time you're like holy cow, that was amazing. That What a hit. You know, that's unbelievable. And you look now and, and, and how we react to hits like that in today's game, and it's, oh, no. Oh, no. And the fact that he came back in that game, again, something else you're not going to see in today's game. You're, you're not going to applaud the Stevens hit, and you're not going to applaud a guy coming back in the game like that because you're thinking there's no way his head's right. Yeah, there's no way that they would have let him come back into the game. And, and I remember watching. I remember exactly where I was. I was at my friend's house uh, because I was that was a road game. I was doing. I did all the home games in that final, and uh, we we thought he was obviously he was unconscious. We were like, did he just kill him? Like, yeah. <laughs> and then you see like the breath on his visor, and you say, all right, well at least he's breathing. And then all of a sudden, like 
it was almost like he, he got like a, 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 sh- a voltage shock, like, uh, and all of a sudden he just popped back up and like, all right, well, he's not dead. They, at least they got him off the ice and, you know, hopefully he's okay. And then for him to come back and, and score a goal, like, as, as a fan of the game, like, that's a great moment in the history of the league. Like, yep. To, to see something like that is unbelievable. And, and like you said, we'll probably never, ever see something like that again. Uh, so I wanted to, uh, bef- before we wrap up here, because that's obviously the biggest moment, I think, between these two teams. I don't think anyone would argue that is uh, the Stevens-Shanahan fiasco. But uh, something else that kind of happened uh, that's pretty big between these two teams, December 2nd, 2014, it had been rumored for a couple days before that that it was going to happen, but then it did officially Martin Brodor joins the St. Louis Blues. Uh, I think it was an injury to Brian Elliott that caused it. Uh, so it was uh, it was Brodor and Jake Allen and Net for the Blues, which is uh, crazy to think about now that uh, Martin Brodor was a St. Louis Blue. And I remember that um, even though it was like, okay, he's not going to play much, and he ends up playing seven NHL games for the Blues, gets a couple wins for him, um, even though... I knew that there was no way that Brodor was going to, you know, come back the next season or anything. First thought in my head, I'm, and I never do this because this is when I was in the media too, and I kind of stopped buying jerseys. I'm like, I got to get a Brodor Blues jersey. I just have to because I don't care if he plays one game. Like this guy is is one of the greatest to ever play the game. One of my favorite players of all time. You rent, you mentioned that it's one of your favorites as well. And then on top of that. Just an absolute class act guy, a guy I'm lucky to say I was able to interview in his time here. Um, just a, a unbelievable hockey player, a presence in the locker room, and uh, yeah, just uh, seeing him in a Blues jersey. I know it was probably very odd for you, but it was something that uh, always puts a smile on my face when I think about it. It was definitely odd, one hundred percent, but. Uh, uh, most fans were like angry about it here and, uh, they, and maybe rightfully so, they thought he should have retired a devil. Um, but I, I'm always of the opinion like a guy should be able to decide when he wants to call quits and when he wants to retire. Yep. If he thought he still had more in the tank, then go for it. Um, obviously it was only seven games. It, it's one of them weird things like, uh, like Joe Montana wearing a Kansas City Chiefs jersey, like yeah. it's one of those things you don't really expect to see, and, and these things happen, and, and it's just it looks weird because we're so used to seeing somebody in, in the same uniform for so long. Um, but it, more power to him, and, and I think it was in a way it worked out really well because he was able to play those games. Then he, like you said, he, he moved into the front office, um, and he got to learn the business side of the game that he probably wouldn't have had that chance if he had stayed here in New Jersey because there wasn't really a spot open for him. And now they've, they've brought him back as, and he doesn't even really, really, excuse me, he doesn't really work in hockey operations or anything. He's, he's more on the business side of it, but he was allowed to, to go out there and, and do his own thing, get his feet wet and get, get that behind the scenes look of how these things operate and really decide what he wanted to do in the next phase of his life. And, um, when they announced he was coming back, it was, it was a huge deal here and, and it just felt right. You know, like this, this is a guy who was, he is the franchise. There's no question about it. Uh, like you said, one of the greatest players in the game, uh, Hall of Famer. And I mean, he has a statue outside the building and they, they don't build statues for nobody. So yeah, I, I agree. And, and, uh, I wanted to ask you about, um, when, uh, so, when there was a, a firing, I think it was Hitchcock's firing, they um, they had also let go their goalie coach of Jim Corsi, and uh, they said, okay, the rest of the season, uh, Brodor is just going to work with our goalies, and he kind of became the makeshift uh, goalie coach to to close out the season until the, the next one started. Um, has there been any talks of that? I mean, I, I know that he uh, he's worked with his son in the past, uh, Anthony, and getting him uh, to be a strong goaltender in, in his uh, respective league. But um, is does he work with goalies at all in, in New Jersey since he went there last summer? As far as I know, he doesn't, he, at least not a hands-on thing. Like, he's not getting out on the ice with them. But he's, you know, always around if Corey Schneider or Blackwood or any of the younger goalies in the organization, if they ever want to talk to him, 
Um, he's more than available to, to help out in those things. And uh, I kind of call him like, uh, the goalie whisperer. Um, <laughs> you know, because he, he doesn't have to, to be the, the goalie coach to, to be able to have an impact. And they have a pretty strong, uh, organizational, uh, depth as far as goaltending coaches go. They have, uh, Scott Clemenson is, is more like their development goaltending coach and he works with a lot of the minor league guys. And last year they brought in Roly Melanson, who had history with Corey Schneider in, in Vancouver. So, um, you know, Marty's not the kind of guy where he's going to come in and try and step on anybody's toes, but he'll always be available. And, and just knowing him and his personality, like if, if those guys have any questions, he's more than willing and, and happy to answer them. Yeah, I, uh, um, his presence alone is something. And I mentioned it uh, when, when I introduced this part of the, the, the interview here that um, – uh, just a, an, an absolute locker room presence. I mean, he, his first game, uh, start his first start. I think he came in a relief for his first game, but I remember his first start in St. Louis. Um, he, I think it was, maybe it was the second or third game total for the Blues, and he's making jokes with guys in the locker room. They're nudging each other. You know, he's he's giving trouble. To, I think Barrett Jackman for some chance that he missed. And I mean, it's just, it was so awesome to see, you know, I'm granted he's a guy who's been around the game. He knows, but you know, you see a new guy coming to the locker room, even if it is a veteran, a lot of times they're quiet, you know, at first they don't really, you know, say much and let the other guys do their thing. But Marty right away stepped in and, and was friendly and, and got to know all the players real well. And even was real nice and getting to know the media around here. Um, so yeah, just a, yeah, having him as a presence, uh, in the locker room, you know, for, for goalies to talk to who need advice, I'm sure that's, uh, that's a big part of, of the person he is and why the Devils are glad to have him back. Oh yeah, 100%. That, that's just the way he is. He's easily one of the most easygoing and, uh, just loose players that I've, I've ever been around. Uh, the stories are true. He would do interviews on game days, even though he was a starting goalie. He's not weird like the other goalies. He is weird in his own way, but right. just not weird, just not weird like that. And, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of great stories about, you know, and, and books about him growing up and, and how he became a goalie and all those things. And, and anybody who's a fan of goaltenders of him, I, I recommend you, you picking them up. Uh, Dan, this is awesome. Again, uh, I mentioned at the start of this show that uh, you and I have been friends for a while. So um, I, I, I think you call me a friend behind my back. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just let myself think you do. One hundred percent, buddy. We're, we're friends to the end. That's right. Um, so I, uh, I want to give you time here to uh, tell my audience how they can uh, find your work. Again, thehockeywriters dot com. Uh, you dominate the Devils page over there, but again. Your interviews from around the league get posted over there. Um, I'm kind of doing this for you, I guess. Um, but uh, also, get, let uh, let everybody know how they can interact with you on social media and, of course, um, where they can find your NWHL work. Like a good wingman, you always take care of me, man. That's right. I really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, now you can find me on, like you said, thehockeywriters.com. I do devil stuff. I also put some NWHL stuff over there, too. Um, I do the NWHL uh, as much as I can. Uh, try and be at most of the Riveters home games, if not all of them this year. And I'm going to try and squeeze in a few road trips to Connecticut and Buffalo. Uh, hopefully Boston as well. Um, that's NWHL.zone. Um, and on the, the, the old Twitter machine, uh, at DR Diablo THW. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's, that's where you can find all my stuff and, um, if, if you're so inclined, give me a follow. If not, that's okay too. Did the uh, Riveters get a goalie yet? <laughs> they did. They actually signed a goalie this morning. Uh, Sam Walther. Good. Uh, she she played a couple of games. I think maybe she was she served as a backup a couple of games last year with Connecticut, and uh, she ended up leaving the team for personal reasons. But she's back this year, and um, hopefully they, they they're able to find another goalie or two because that's been their. Uh, biggest problem this year has been finding goalies because a lot of people know the uh, most of the top level Olympian level tier of, of players they're not playing this year they're, they're doing their own thing uh, they form their own association where they're going to do like these barnstorming tours around the country 
Um, so if you, if you're interested about women's hockey and it comes near you, I, I would suggest you go check that out. I'm sure it's going to be a great show. Uh, players like Kendall Coyne Schofield and Hillary Knight and, and some of the great Canadian players, uh, as well. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't want to check that out and you want to check out the NWHL, there's the, the team in Minnesota. They just won the, the championship last year. And, uh, if, if I had a, guess right now i'd say they're probably going to win again this year because they have the best goalie and and they have a lot of returning players as well awesome well dan again thank you very much for doing this we appreciate it anytime you gotta have me back on again soon too oh we will don't you worry i need to have you on when i have Curtin bill on the show too we don't, I don't think we've ever done that yeah absolutely maybe uh, before the devils and blues play again uh I'm sure the Blues will win because I feel like they've won every game for the last 15 years against the Devils. But, uh, you know, I'd be more than willing to come on anytime you want. Uh, you got that Thorn and the Blues' side and P.K. Subban now, so maybe things will change. Yeah, it's a whole new era now here in New Jersey. we got Subban, we got Jack Hughes. Uh, hopefully we have Taylor Hall for another year after this year or a few more years after this year. We'll see how his contract plays out. But, uh it's going to be a, a whole new era of Devils hockey, I believe. Yeah, I think so, too. I think uh, the seasons like last year are going to be in the rearview mirror for a while. Hopefully, hopefully. we got to we got to play a little bit more, a few more games this year than we did last year. I hear you. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan. Appreciate it. Anytime. So I, again, want to thank Dan for coming on. Twitter handles for this show. The show Twitter is at LGB Radio. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note. Jeff Ponder, myself, can be found at jponder94. The next show will be featured on Thursday, September 5th. I welcome in James Roberts and Doug Ireland from Offside Hockey Talk, and we talk Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, there's actually a little bit of history there when you think about it because they used to be in the same division. So... Uh, definitely some fun stuff there. You don't want to miss that one. Thursday, September 5th is when that one is released. Well, that will conclude this episode. I want to thank everybody for listening and again, thank Dan for coming on. And until next time, everyone, let's go blues. Play Gloria. Thanks for listening to the hockey show blues report of the week. Have a great day. 